Hello everyone, welcome back. Uh, we're finally back for our season two launch and exciting news, as you can tell, for those that are listening in, we actually started to come back to our in-person shows. So actually as our very first special guest to launch season two, we have Nick Wilkinson from TTT Studios with us today. Um, Nick, if you wanna just say hi to the camera <laughs> real quick. Sure, hey everybody, uh, thanks so much for having me here. I'm uh, super excited uh, to get into the discussion and also uh, the food here looks, uh, looks pretty amazing. Yeah, so um, for those that are just kind of tuning in over our audio podcast, so today we actually brought in a food element. Um, so this is gonna be kind of something that will be going on throughout the rest of our season. And for today's feature, we have a dish called a Taiwanese beef roll. Yeah, so if we just want to pan in on the beef roll. So for those that may not be familiar with this dish, it is essentially a pan-fried scallion pancake. Um, and inside it is rolled with a slow braised beef, cucumbers, and hoisin sauce. Um, usually a lot of people um, enjoy it because it has this like crispy, sweet, savory taste to it. Um, it's one of a very popular snack for breakfast, lunch or dinner. Um, you can actually find it in a lot of Taiwanese restaurants around Vancouver as well as back home in Taiwan. I feel like we're a little bit on the food shopping channel over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is just, you know, one of the interesting dishes that are part of the Vancouver uh, <laughs> multicultural um, city. So uh, I think food is really a great way to kind of describe um, how multicultural Vancouver is. But yeah, so we're actually going to try out these dishes. So yeah, <laughs> everyone. She's, she's about everyone. to say everyone dig in, but then she realizes <laughs> she's on a podcast and she can't say that. So if you are listening to this on audio, and feel free, Nick, give it a shot. Uh, do check out our YouTube channel. Uh, we'll make sure we'll give the the links in the description below, above. Sometimes it's above. Everybody always says below though. But um, yeah, check out our YouTube channel, and then you can kind of see what we're actually talking about here. Um, if you're on your drive home, you're probably starting to get hungry. As uh, as my partners in crime next door, next to me, kind of dive in. How's those first bites? They are speechless. So <laughs> I will just continue rambling as they just. I guess it's good, right? Because like otherwise, it wouldn't be like this. Mm -hmm. We didn't need the the garbage can nearby. It's definitely not like the last episode where we had the garbage can on standby. Um, for those that missed that episode, we had um, the launch team join us to do the Bean Boozle Challenge. So we had jelly beans ranging from rotten fish to dirty socks um, and barf. So <laughs> Yeah, this, this is a significant upgrade for the season. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, how how is it? have you had this before? First of all, Nick, I've had it before, but not from this restaurant. Okay, um, I missed is... the name of the restaurant. Who are we pumping today? It's called Uncle Skewers. Uncle Skewers. Are they sponsoring us? No, unfortunately. Not. Okay, no, they're not sponsoring. <laughs> forget it. Forget about Uncle Skewers. But but I mean, how how's how's the beef dip? beef beef roll? It's delicious. I love it. Nice, yeah. nice. I was expecting this to be more like a, a fear factor challenge where I was going to get like scorpions or something. So this is, this is fantastic. I'm yeah. Really I think, it. I think Gina and I talked about it and like, <laughs> she wanted to be kind to you because it's your first time on the show and well, we I want you to come back. So. <laughs> 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 I mean, when it was just me, she had me eating, you know, sock flavored jelly beans, but right. a little bit, a little bit better than that. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, now that we've kind of kicked off the food, um, why don't you just 
tell us a little bit about you know your past and how you got involved with obviously TTT Studios. We've had Chris on in the past. Yeah, for sure. Um, so at TTT, I'm the director of project management. And so what that means is I'm responsible for basically delivery for all of the client projects that we have. So what TTT, uh, who we are, is we're uh, a digital innovation studio. So we make custom applications for mobile, uh, web, uh, desktop, Unity. Uh, we're getting into a lot more now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we do end-to-end um, development. So basically starting from the working with a client when they have an initial uh, idea, uh, mm-hmm. they want to figure out like what can we do with them so we help them solve problems all the way through to actually writing the software and uh, delivering that to them. So in my role, uh, I'm responsible for um, the team that kind of manages those who actually do the work. Um, mm-hmm. So um, it's a lot of like project management kind of fundamentals. Uh, yeah. And I've got a team of about three people uh, who I manage, which is really exciting. When I first started, I was the the lone PM, and that was, mm-hmm. that was tricky, balancing everything on my own. But now, I've, thankfully, I've got this team. And um, yeah. Um, it's it's a ton of fun. I really enjoy working with the whole team. Chris is fantastic. Um, it's uh, it's are it's we great. paid to say that? Yeah, we we do like Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we do like Chris. <laughs> um, one of the questions I have right off the top of my bat is because I think people use the word PM like mm-hmm. they kind of throw it around yeah. pretty regularly. Um, obviously, like you deal with different projects. There's also something called a product manager. Yeah. Like, can you kind of just for for maybe those are that are looking to dive into tech, like kind of just explain a brief difference between the two? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we also do a bit of product development as well. So, uh, so we have um, a need for experience on both sides of that. So project management really is about um, kind of a, a limited time initiative, like something that has a beginning, middle, and end mm-hmm. that you then deliver. Um, so there's uh, typically a bunch of steps that you need to do in order to make that happen in terms of. Um, like on a compressed schedule, looking at like what the risks are going to be involved, figuring out your timeline, your schedule, mm-hmm. budget, and then trying to fit the scope of work into the different constraints that you have, yeah. and then it, it ends. With a product, it doesn't really ever end. It's just an ongoing <laughs> cycle of things that, that you try to keep improving over time. So it's a different set of skills that a, a product manager would need. Yeah. Um, and they tend to also be a little bit more um, higher level because often there isn't a, a client involved. So it's a bit more strategy looking for like what does the client really need Sorry, not the client, but what's the customer really need? Yep. Um, you know, what features would, should we be folding in? Um, what's the priority of those features? Um, getting more data, um, things like that. Where the yep. project manager is much more focused on just the execution of, of getting done what the client's asking for. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah and like just talking about like skill sets, um, I guess the first elephant in the room question is like how technical do you have to be to be let's, – let's focus on project management because I think that's, sure. that's why we're here today. Yeah, like for people outside looking in, like what are some of the skills, some of the experiences that they need to kind of get into those roles? Yeah. So first, a lot of times uh, people think that you need to be a developer to be a project manager, and that's mm-hmm. absolutely not true. Um, mm-hmm. So I I happen to know a little bit about how to develop, but I'm by no means like a professional developer. Um, and that helped me kind of give a bit, get a bit of insight into what the experience is as a developer, but I don't need to know the details and ins mm-hmm. and outs of that to be a project manager. Gotcha. Um, so this, the skills that I try to bring to the table are more around like the soft skills and the hard skills about just the management of the project itself. Um, and then trust that I've got experts who know how to do like all the technical architecture and the development yeah. stuff and, and also on the design side as well. Um, so um, yeah, sometimes people think that I need to take a bunch of coding lessons to <laughs> become a project manager. Not true. Um, it's really more about working with people and coordinating and um, understanding that part of it, like how to manage people. Yeah. So I have a question then. Did you go to like any formal schooling to learn like kind of like product management or sorry, 
um, project manager skills, or was it just kind of like a buildup of experiences and opportunities that kind of led you to this position now? Yeah, it was all completely by accident. There was ah. no intent behind my career whatsoever. <laughs> um, I started uh, in engineering at UBC because mm-hmm. um, I, I wanted to be an engineer. And um, over the course of the different experiences I had, it was only really in retrospect that I looked back and realized, oh, wait a minute, like most of this has been project management. So um, I didn't start in software. I was starting in manufacturing. So I was designing things and then getting them built, um, like physical um, things. And then that moved into logistics later on, and then um, some consulting, and then ultimately software. So, and it was really, again, only in retrospect that I look back and realized that I was doing project management that whole time. Because as I was doing those things, I thought, oh, I'm an engineer, or mm-hmm. I'm you know, uh, something else, say a designer of some sort. Um, but I realized, oh, wait, no, I'm actually managing people and schedules and budgets and managing clients and all the rest. And then when I got into software, I realized, oh, wait, this is all actually pretty useful. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm a PM. Yeah. 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 And do you see that kind of similar career paths for, for like the team that you manage and the other PMs, like they all kind of have a unique journey or like what, what are they coming into? I think like when I go to hire a project manager, what I look for is um, somebody who has some sort of interesting journey. Um, like yep. if they just, if like nobody is, I mean, this may not be true, but as far as I'm concerned, nobody's born growing up wanting to be a project manager. <laughs> it's not like the most exciting, you know, thing for kids. Um, but uh, so I'm, I'm always a little bit skeptical when somebody just immediately dives into that and nothing else. Yeah. So if um, like a while ago I was looking for uh, to hire a PM and I noticed that um, a candidate had a background in journalism that immediately stood out to me because that's yep. not common uh, for people who uh, want to yep. get into PM. But it showed me that um, you know they're inquisitive. They they know how to put a story together, and they know how to like fact find. And mm-hmm. um, probably there's some like tenacity there with like, trying to chase yep. that story down. Those are like some really cool um, yep. attributes that I'd want to have in a project manager. So I think the more variety you can you can bring to the table, yeah, uh, the better you're going to be as a project manager. Yeah, and do does that does the technical aspect matter at all then? Like if they don't know what React Native is, if they're like. We, we don't know iOS from Android. Like, is there a certain bar? I guess for you guys specifically. It depends. So yeah. if we're looking to hire a, like a junior project manager, all of that stuff can be taught. Yeah. So if they're bringing to the table an ability to like manage people and also have um, sometimes like say tricky conversations with a client, because sometimes things can get a little bit dicey because yeah. uh, in any kind of relationship, you know, things aren't, aren't, always, uh, yep. aren't always the best. So if, if somebody knows how to like negotiate and stand their ground and always work towards a win-win, mm-hmm. that to me is way more important than if they know what React Native is. Like mm-hmm. you can you can learn that a lot easier. <laughs> um, but then there is the job. Then say that's part of my job is making sure that that PM gets up to speed quickly. Yeah. So they understand the relationship between the front end, back end, and yep. design and how it all fits together and what the development pipeline is. That's sweet. Yeah. I just really want to say that I love that you highlight that you look more for like a unique experience rather yeah. than just like technical because it really does. I think one of the things that a lot of like younger people or those that are looking for a career change, their hesitancy really comes from the fact that they don't think they're qualified yeah. to move um, industries or to apply for a position that they've always dream- dreamt of. Like they don't realize that, hey, maybe those random assortments of experiences, um, projects that you've done could lead to the position that you want. Like definitely for myself too, like I came from the hospitality industry. Um, I dabbled a bit into streaming um, video games and then I've always wanted to get into tech and then here I am. Like (laughs) I would not have thought, you know, 10 years ago, I'm like, yeah, definitely no way I would even dream of like working in a tech industry, but so yeah, it's definitely really great that we highlight that a lot because mm. I think some of the listeners, 
there's always this kind of fear that they want to like overcome um, and they just don't think that you have to be, or they think that they have to be learning code or the technical abilities when. Yeah, not at all. It's, to me, I've always thought it's more about following your interests. Mm -hmm. And as long as you keep doing that, and as long as you can keep paying your bills doing that, then that's, that's the thing that matters. Yeah. <laughs> we seem to hire a lot of gamers. <laughs> Shout out to, to our brand new producer, Samson, who's, who's, so if the, the video looks nice, it's all thanks to him. If the sound looks crappy, it's all thanks to him. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely leave that comment, whether it's good or bad. Um, and speaking of journeys, um, I just wanted to kind of touch on a little bit more about your journey to coming to TTT Studios, because from my understanding, you have quite a <laughs> wide range of experiences and um, jobs and projects that you worked with. Like, you worked with... NASA, you worked with um, the UN Archives, Canadian Armed Forces, um, various startups. So um, out of all of these different like work experiences, like what were some of the um, skills that you took out of it or like what were some of the key highlights that you've enjoyed about them? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So um, I guess first, the one thing that stood out to me was that I wouldn't have worked probably with any of the more exciting clients that I've worked with if it wasn't for surrounding myself with really smart people. Mm -hmm. um, it's just being really lucky to find myself in different situations where um, those types of uh, clients were, were interested to work with the people that I was working with. Um, and I think... Um, like it's 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 like easy to like name drop like oh, yeah, I worked with NASA right I worked with you know so and so but the thing is it all comes down to people and some of those experiences were fantastic and some of them were not fantastic mm -hmm. and I think there wasn't really any one thing that I took from any one of those clients in particular it was just like being exposed to a variety of different kinds of personalities and um, different kinds of projects and different kinds of challenges and also being given the opportunity to like mess up a bunch and learn from that. Um, that's, I think, all really what led me to, to getting to where I am now. Um, if I didn't have those opportunities to make those mistakes in the past, uh, and also like sometimes like very visible mistakes, like as you say, with these, these types of customers, <laughs> um, then uh, that, that put a lot of pressure on me to, to get better fast. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's, uh, and I'm really thankful for the kind of the luck that I've had, I guess, over the course of my career. Yeah, I guess there's little room for mistakes. I'm just looking at your resume right now. Devon Island, none of it. I feel like yeah. there's a story or two there. Yeah, sure. So, um, <laughs> yeah, as I mentioned, I started out in engineering, and initially I wanted to work in the space program. Yeah. And so I grew up thinking I was going to be an engineer, uh, working with, say, NASA, the Canadian space, uh, space program. And then as I got towards the end of my undergraduate, I realized, like, I didn't understand how to work in the space program. Like, it's easy to say that, but, like, yep. how do you actually break in? Like, who are your contacts? Who Like, how do you do that? So I remember really vividly um, sitting on my bed in my dorm watching TV and this documentary comes on and it was the scientist who was working in the Arctic. And I thought, I want to do that. And so I figured out, like, the scientist I looked at or was watching the documentary on, I, I looked into her background and realized, well, she was like a researcher. So like, okay, I got to do my master's then. So I applied to master's school and, and uh, thankfully got in for engineering. And then I was able to build up contacts and go to conferences and ultimately even meet that scientist. And then later... Um, a job opportunity came up to manage that site that was in that documentary. Wow. Um, and I didn't apply at first. And so it was, again, the same scientist, um, uh, Dr. Darlene Lim, who works for NASA. And she said, like, Nick, you should just apply for this. Like, don't worry if you don't think you have the, mm -hmm. the right credentials or whatever. Just apply and see what happens. And I did. And then I ended up getting it, which is like totally blew my mind. So what that job was, was uh, managing a, a research station in the Arctic uh, for about wow. three years. 
So the, the station itself is on Devon Island, which is the world's uh, largest uninhabited island. And it's right between Canada's two most northerly communities. So one being um, uh, Resolute Bay and the other being Grease Fjord, which is uh, the most northerly. So wow. there's an awesome opportunity to work with the Inuit in the far north as well, which I wasn't expecting at all as a part of that. But um, that's where, like a lot of these names that you mentioned, like uh, as particularly NASA, the Canadian Space Agency, um, and a bunch of other organizations like militaries and uh, universities from around the world, they would come to the site to do um, research because it was really yep. very similar to like Mars and the moon there. It's like very cold, very dry. Yep. So they do like spacesuit testing and rover testing and things. And my job was basically managing all the logistics. So like yep. how do you get to the island? How do you get off of the island? How was everybody kept safe? Do they have all the gear they need? You're running real-life survivor there? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I learned a, a huge amount there about, um, I, like my, my job was project manager, but I remember when I was hired, the first thing I did was buy a bunch of books. Like what does it mean to be a project manager? Because I had no yeah. idea. Right? Yeah. Um, and so then just very quickly understood that really what it was about was taking care of people. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that stuck with me even to now is what clients need or customers or in this case in the Arctic, people needed to feel like they were going to be safe and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And um, like, don't worry about it. We got this. And I think that's as long as you can kind of exude that sort of um, that sort of temperament as a project yep. manager, you're going to be good. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So were you there in the none of it for most of it? So we would go up our field seasons were for uh, about two months in okay. the summer. Uh, so that's when things had kind of melted and you could get around more easily. Yeah. Uh, and then we'd go up in the spring just after the sun would come back because there's periods yep. of 24-hour darkness and then 24-hour light. So we'd go back up after the, the sun came back just to engage with the communities there, let them know what we wanted to do. Um, also get, get buy-in from the communities as well like mm -hmm. to make sure that they're okay with what we were doing there. And then um, also hire from the communities because we, we really wanted yep. to work with them directly on this. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of opportunity to, to go up there and see it in different seasons. And it was, yep. it was just spectacular. So sort of a silly question, because it sounds like I think, I mean, yes, there are communities there, but it yeah. sounds quite small, and 24-hour darkness sounds yeah. pretty miserable, not going to lie. Yeah. Um, yeah. How does that kind of compare to, to you know, what we've all experienced as society in the last couple of years with, with the pandemic, with isolation? Like, yeah. did that prepare you for it? You're like, oh, I know this, I know this game. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Actually, that's, that's a really interesting point. Um, yeah, so both of those communities are tiny. Uh, Resolute at the time, I think, had 250 people. Wow. And Grease Fjord, I think, was 150 people. Uh, and yep. that's the whole town. And they're all, like, you can't drive to these places. It's all um, serviced by, by planes. You have to fly in. Um, and all of your stuff is flown in as well. So mm -hmm. all your groceries, uh, everything that you need. Um, so I was never there during the 24-hour darkness period. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think probably that did prepare my mindset a little bit for, for the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And just, like... It wasn't that big a deal that we were in lockdown for yep. me because, like, I was used to, like, not being able to, like, really go outside for yeah. prolonged periods or not have, like, access to stuff. <laughs> Due or, to climate. Yeah. yeah. Um, so kind of being deprived of things that we normally take for granted here. Like, yep. I was like, well, yeah, I think, you know, this is okay. I think the hard part, though, was not knowing how long it was going to go on for, yep. right? Because mm -hmm. it is this progressive evolution of, like, oh, well, this is going to be a few months to this is going to yep. be now most of the year, now more than a year. And that was that was hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, at least in the Arctic, you know, like, well, this is where I live. It's going to be like this forever. Yeah. <laughs> Did you like, yeah. have a calendar or like this date? <laughs> uh, in the pandemic or when I was up? In uh, the, well, in the not the pandemic because we, oh. we don't know, right? <laughs> no, in the, I, I loved every minute of being up in the Arctic. Um, it was, uh, I, it, I, the seasons always felt too short. I wish I could have spent more time there. Um, 
And yeah, I really encourage anybody, if you ever have a chance to go up uh, to the far north for whatever yep. reason, like take that chance because it's completely unlike any other part of the country. I, I can imagine so. <laughs> yeah. I definitely want to put that on my bucket list. There's a lot of animals up there that I would love to see in person. <laughs> yeah. No, we're throwing you straight to the 24-hour darkness. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I might be used to it. <laughs> yeah, I have a question for you then. Like, was there... Like, it doesn't have to be when you were in the Arctic, but maybe just in general, like, from your previous work experiences. Like, was there ever, did you ever have, like, an oh, shit moment? Pardon my language, but. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> That's, like, every day. <laughs> Can you be more specific? <laughs> okay, how about, what was the moment that you had that you just, like, um, it could be, let's say, like, what was your, um, hmm, what was the most challenging oh, shit moment that you had to work through? Um, or what was the most funniest one? The resolution came out to be, you know, hilarious after you got past that hump. Um, geez, I don't know if I've had any hilarious ocean. Oh, okay. <laughs> They've all been kind of scarring. Oh no. Okay. Um, I, I think, I mean, there's, there's lots. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know, I think that the first biggest like ocean moment, like where I really screwed up, uh, mm-hmm. was working on the Arctic job. Um, where I, I was like maybe three days into the job up uh, in the Arctic. And um, so again, my job was like trying to ferry people and stuff uh, mm-hmm. between these two islands on these uh, charter flights that we would have. And um, the weather is really volatile there. So like you can be looking at the window and within seconds it'll go from like a clear sky and it's beautiful to just totally socked in with fog and rain or snow or whatever. And so when that happens, you can't fly. Yeah. And that can last for weeks and it's totally unexpected. Like it's very difficult to predict the weather there. So usually in the schedule, whenever we had the chance to get ahead a little bit, we would take that chance because that might disappear immediately and then you're, you're screwed. So it's, yeah, like my, my third day there and uh, two researchers from the Canadian Space Program came up a little bit earlier than expected. Mm-hmm. And so uh, normally they would have just spent the night in Resolute and I'd ferry them out the next day when they were scheduled to go um, uh, to the island the next day. And, um, but I thought, well, let's get ahead of the situation a little bit. And I figured out like to bump some cargo off and put these people on a flight and then send them in. And then as soon as they landed, I got a call from my boss on the satellite phone and just like livid that I had done that because I hadn't given them a heads up. And he was just tearing into me, um, saying that, that, you know, I I told you, you know, to to do this and you didn't (laughs) do it. And now this affects like the balance for the meal planning because they only had so much food at the time. Gotcha. That was like a like well, part of my language. That was a bullshit <laughs> complaint on his part. They had more than enough food, and I maintain to this day, if you're listening, yeah. former boss, I was right and you were wrong. <laughs> you didn't uh, starve. No, it was fine. <laughs> you were just hangry. The, the problem with it, though, and why I felt so bad, is because I mean, I wanted to make a good impression, mm-hmm. and it was a like a lot of people saw that there was this thing that was done that maybe should not have been done, but there was no like support. Like I was literally thousands of kilometers from anybody who knew or cared anything about me. And um, I couldn't just like pick up the phone and like call my mom and, you know, yeah. cry, cry to her or anything. So I really forced me to like have to just like suck it up and deal with it and know that the next morning I would wake up and face the same people again and just work through that problem. And, and there were a number of things that I did probably in that first year that were not the best decisions. Um, nothing ever that was like unsafe or anything, but just like better decisions could have been made. And um, even now when I think about it, I kind of cringe a little bit inside and think mm. like, man, that, that was either just embarrassing or, um, you know, I wish I had or something maybe cost money. Yeah. Um, but it's because of that that now I feel like it sort of it, it sharpens you like mm-hmm. as you go on. And so now yeah. I'm a little bit less concerned when things come up because I know I'm going to learn from it and yeah. I'm going to be better for it. So it's not as big of a deal, I guess. 
Yeah. And then like yeah. tying that back to, to, you know, working with your team, working with project managers and things like that. Like I think being in the project manager, a lot of times you're stuck in the middle, right? Like your dev team might expect certain things. Yeah. The client expects certain things. Those things are not always the same things. So you're caught in the middle a ton. Yeah. When mistakes are made, and I don't even want to say it's the PM's mistake, just mistakes mm-hmm. are made. Yeah. I think any way you put, you're, you get, you catch fire on both sides, yeah. right? Um, how, what kind of advice do you have people for how to deal with conflict, right? And by conflict, I mean like mistakes have been made. You have to deal with it. Whether it was your fault or not, you have to yeah. deal with it, right? Like how, how, do you, how do you kind of guide people that are going through those moments? Sure. So um, often I find that when, there's, when you're in the like, heat of the moment and something's mm-hmm. really going off the rails, um, it's almost like our field of vision tends to kind of narrow down and you're not really, like you have no peripheral vision. You're just looking at what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are just listening, my hands are close together <laughs> indicating that my it's field of vision. It's not far apart. Yeah. Uh, so um, the, the first thing is really just like take, take a beat and like breathe and just mm-hmm. ground yourself in the moment and realize that like there's more going on around you than just this one problem. Just mm-hmm. to basically settle down. Um, then the other thing is it's it's not about like who did what and when and pointing fingers and laying blame and getting upset about that. Like there's a time to figure out what the mistake was and how to resolve that maybe in the future. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, it's like um, thinking really critically, like how can you move this forward in a way that's going to be productive? Yeah, It doesn't even really matter what kind of what the, what the problem is. Like how can we solve this? Um, and seeing it not so much as a roadblock where that's the end of the road, but more as like what are the hows that we're going to get past this? Because mm-hmm. um, if you can't do that, then you just get stuck and then you get in that cycle of people blaming each other and getting upset yep. and just wanting to like leave the situation. So I think as a PM, you want to reassure the team that no matter, no matter what's going on, you're not there to um, to blame anybody or make people feel uncomfortable or anything like that. Because also you're probably going to need their help to get out of the situation, yeah. right? So you need to create some psychological safety that they know that they can throw ideas out. Maybe the first few ideas aren't going to be great, but like we'll get to something that will be good and then mm-hmm. we'll move forward together from that. That's terrific. Yeah, it's really great advice because it really does highlight, like, first off, that it's like no, sometimes it's not okay to make mistakes, but yeah. mistakes will happen. You can't, you know, be perfect in everything that you do or execute. Yeah. So it's just a matter of like how you handle the aftermath of those mistakes. Yeah. And also, you brought up another great point as well is that you know mistakes aren't something to be afraid of, but using it as kind of like this self drive or motivation to just do better. And it's kind of like a very common theme I find with even just like entrepreneurship, which we also highlight quite a lot on the show, is that um, we should look at failures more so as a positive thing. Because if you don't fail, then you don't know how to improve from that. So it's really great that you brought that up. And as well as, of course, creating a safer environment for your team to collaborate, work together, because you can't really focus on getting the solution if you're just yeah. tunnel visioning just on your own, right? It's yeah. nice to have a couple of brains working together. So yeah. really great, huh? Well, and I mean, all of it's easier said than done because you're mm-hmm. going to be upset in the moment, like no mm-hmm. doubt. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> but it's like trying to like rise above that in a way that like mm-hmm. you don't necessarily show that to the team um, mm-hmm. or like client or whoever the situation is. Um, and just trying to, yeah, be as unemotional, I guess, as you can, but with with empathy at the same time towards the people that you're in the situation with. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think empathy is becoming such a strong skill set as well that I don't think a lot of people, like, I think maybe years ago, bosses kind of thought, oh, yeah, you don't need empathy, you just need a business mindset and, like, very, like, you know, hard on your employees. But it's actually kind of the trend nowadays, I notice is that it's 
um, a lot more focus is coming in on like emotional well-being of your employees, like making sure like their work balance, life balance is okay, stress levels. It's a lot more empathy that is required, yeah. and I think that's a really strong skill set to have. Absolutely, and I'm finding that a lot too. Like particularly with development teams, where um, you know if things start getting off track a little bit and you're behind schedule, like you can't just say work faster. Like mm-hmm. it's like be creative faster. Like you can't you can't do that. <laughs> So then you need that empathy to take a step back and try to figure out what is it that is slowing things down. And it mm-hmm. could be personal things. It could be something related to the pandemic still. It could be anything. Like you have no idea, really. Um, so that's a huge part of it is like really getting to the, the human side of it mm-hmm. and trying to, to figure out how to get around those roadblocks from that uh, perspective. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, think, I think the difficult part is like when, when you hire someone, like, like very quantitatively you look at it like, I don't know, like a Street Fighter or video game, like they have, like they have, you know, 99 in fighting or 30 in strength or 30 in power or something like that, right? With empathy, it's really kind of hard to, to gauge. I mean, we can use scenarios and things like that, but until crap hits the fan, that's when you know how people react in certain situations, right? And that yeah. only happens after you've hired them and worked with them for a bit, right? Yeah. It reminds me of something that that same boss who I admit that I'm I'm right and he was still completely wrong. <laughs> what I what I learned from him was uh, he said uh, that nobody really knows what a project manager does until something goes wrong, mm-hmm. and that really stuck with me my whole career because it's super <laughs> true. Because when you're doing well, nobody really knows, but it's only when things go wrong then then you start seeing that empathy or those skills come into play that you can't really quantify. And like, oh, okay, that's what a project manager does. You're like the the Abbas for damn people. I don't know if I don't I don't know if you remember that story from from somewhere during the pandemic and and you know climate change and all that. We had a huge flood in Abbotsford for those of you that are listening afar. That's a suburban of of Greater Vancouver. And like apparently all that was keeping the city of Abbotsford from turning into a lake again was like this one dam and like a couple of like bags of sand. Um, but not, I, I'd never heard of this dam before in my life. And all of a sudden it's really important. We're not going to have produce for the next 10 years or, or some, something like that. And it was all based on like one thing. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's yeah. a project manager. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you then. So it seems like, you know, you kind of gone through quite a lot of unique different experiences and that's kind of molded you to who you are. If you could kind of go back in time, let's say 10 years, 20 years ago to your younger self. What would some of the things that you would want to reassure them or give them advice or just kind of, you know, just tell them? <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, that's that's a, a good and hard question. Um, I think I'd probably say that it's going to be a lot harder than you think, but it's also going to end up being a lot better than you think. Um, I, I, I couldn't have imagined 10 years ago that I'd be getting to do the things that I get to do now. Like um, when I mentioned managing a team like that, that brings me so much satisfaction. I'm so proud Um of what the team has been able to do and not any credit to myself, but just that this team has come together to to manage projects the way that they have and that I've had a hand in helping to shape that team. I never thought I'd get a chance to do something like that. And that's that's amazing. And I think my 10 year ago self would have been pretty, pretty excited about that. Um, but again, like all the mistakes and things that needed to happen over those last 10 years to get to the point where I could, you know, do what I do now somewhat effectively. I think um, that stuff was harder than I was expecting it would have been. So mm. I probably have a good conversation around that. How would you describe your your style of leadership, and is it different than what you imagined you would be as a leader? Um, I guess I didn't really see myself so much as a leader. Like mm. growing, like I mean, I guess that's kind of true and not true. I mean, I saw myself in sort of like a 
like like a leader from from the side sort mm -hmm. of um not like somebody who's like out in front like clearly as the yep. leader i always knew that like you know class projects even like in school and stuff like yeah i would try to step up but um i guess um as i've gotten older and more more comfortable and at ease with myself yeah i've been able to be out front more and and play in that sort of uh, space as a leader yeah um in terms of my style um i guess very collaborative Mm -hmm. um, it's like any initiative that I ever get into, I know that I'm not there because of my ideas necessarily. Like yeah. what I bring to the table is knowing how to get people to work together in a way that'll be really collaborative and creative and fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll have ideas to pitch in here and there for a project or product or whatever, but really the other people are a part of that initiative because of the expertise that they have, whether it's development yeah. or UI design or business or whatever. So I guess it's really making sure that those people um, on the team have an opportunity to like really talk and collaborate. And so it's, um, yeah, I guess collaborative would be the word to describe that. Cool. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. So maybe, you know, for those that are listening in and they're like, hey, like TTT Studio sounds great. Nick sounds awesome. I want to work for him. <laughs> like, you know, what would be some advice or tips that you have if they're looking like, let's say an opening came up, like what would be some of the tips that you'd give them? Like, should there be like additional experience that they're looking for or any certain skill sets that they should write like even on their resume for example or during the interview process like sure yeah um so well at first if you go to our website ttt.studio there are a number of open job oh, <laughs> positions there right now. as of april may 2022 yeah. if you're listening to this in 2028 like oh. we, we can't guarantee it. <laughs> good point um, but yeah, we're, we're always on the, on the hunt for, um, good, uh, development and design talent and we're really growing our, uh, our business with unity as well. So we're always looking for good, uh, unity talent, uh, in addition to the, uh, the opportunities when we we're looking for project managers and marketers and other people. Um, I think, um, one thing that I love about TTT is that we're always willing to take a chance with somebody who isn't necessarily like a hundred percent established in that field. Mm -hmm. um, so even like when I review project managers, I'm not looking for somebody who has like a decade of experience and has been all the places and seen all the things. Um, I'm totally open to taking a chance on somebody who maybe doesn't have, um, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of experience. I certainly don't look too much at like the, um, like, Especially in the project management world, sometimes people get really distracted by like the credentials, like a PMP or certified scrum master, all that stuff, which is good, but not the only thing. Um, <laughs> really, it comes back to what we were talking about before about like those soft skills that you bring to the table. But I think if just generally, if people have experience working in teams, um, that that's a big plus. Um, if you've worked on um, some kind of project where you're kind of answerable to some sort of stakeholder, that's a good thing. No matter again, if you're a developer, designer, uh, no matter what, that's good having some sort of portfolio to point to um, mm -hmm. is is something that uh, really helps us because it, it's so much more than just the resume. It, it's really like, what's your body of work? Um, even if it's limited, like just mm -hmm. show us kind of what you can do now and where you want to go. And um, if you look like you're a team player and uh, you're excited about solving interesting problems, then yeah, we definitely want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. hey, yes. I got I one, one more question on my end. Um, because we've had Chris, um, one of the founders of TTT Studio, on on the show before, and and you know he's a fun guy, and we we love Chris actually. But I want the scoop. What's a story about Chris that he doesn't want told? Oh wow! <laughs> Putting you on the hot <laughs> well, seat here. Th there is no story that Chris would not tell you himself. I think. <laughs> um, there's yeah, like that's uh, that's been one of the like the things that I did not expect about uh, yeah. working at TTT is just how wild um, Chris and, and his brother David are yeah. and just the the great culture that they they bring to the table there it's just it's so much fun um, 
I, I'm like literally really hard pressed to come up with something that I think would embarrass him. The only thing I think that, um, well, maybe here's one thing. Um, I noticed from time to time, um, and maybe this is as he's getting older, I'm not sure, he tends to fall asleep in meetings. So oh, no. so now that we've all been on like Zoom and Google Meet and stuff over the pandemic, like we're yeah. just on camera all the time and people will be talking or I'll be talking. And then I'll look over at like the little panel with his face and he's just like gently nodding off. <laughs> so I actually have a little folder on my desktop of screenshots that I take whenever I notice that. And I'll just snap one and put it in there for safekeeping. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm going to do with those, but they'll come in handy at some point, I think. All right. So if anybody is listening to this and is not driving and safely by a computer, I want you guys to tweet Chris right now <laughs> with the hashtag, are you awake? <laughs> All right. We're, we're going to see if we can get this to trend and let's see, let's see if it comes to things. Tell Tell the team at TDT Studios we wanna we wanna kind of bomb his his mentions with "Are you awake?" <laughs> Great, <laughs> thanks so much, Nick. Um, so we're just gonna kind of wrap this up with our last famous question that sure. we ask every guest, and I always find this question really interesting. Sam thinks it's kind of you know <laughs> has his moments, but Gene's a dork. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I find that you know depending on who our guest selects and their reasons, like it's very interesting, like the reasoning behind it. Like some people. Um, they choose you know, like people for their team just based off of like you know personality how they would get along with them, or some people actually look at like the credentials, skill sets that they could bring to it. So it's very fascinating to see how each of the guest minds work here. So the question is, if you were to build out a dream product company or just have your dream team, um, you can choose up to three people whether they are fictional characters, whether they are historians, dead or alive, mm -hmm. um, celebrities, or people that you know in real life and work with, who would those people be? That's an amazing question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess for me, any kind of business or initiative kind of needs three kind of key roles. I guess maybe I'll start there and then mm -hmm. I'll, I'll figure out who I'd say. So I think the the main roles are like a diplomat. So somebody who's mm -hmm. kind of like your your front person who's out kind of drumming up interest, who's kind of managing, uh, you know, building excitement, managing stakeholders, whatever, but also somebody who's there to kind of defend the team a little bit as well. You need a PM of some sort, like some sort of coordinator. And I think you also need somebody who's like a, your tactician, like who's going to be like executing on this stuff. So that's kind of what I look for, like in any kind of project, like when I'm managing, like who, who are those roles? So I'll, maybe I'll use that as the framework. So I think for my diplomat, um, I think I'd pick Ryan Reynolds. Oh. And Ryan Reynolds, if you're listening, I mean, although I do love Chris Hobbs, I would I would drop everything and go to work for you <laughs> if you're out there. Um, I think he'd be an amazing diplomat for this for this business I would be launching, just because like, he's like so charming. Oh, he is. <laughs> um, and but also he's got like bite, right? Like you, you know that you know he can only probably be pushed so far, and he's going to be going to bat for the team. Um, plus, super smart business guy. Like I think that he'd be amazing. Uh, for number two, for the coordinator PM role. Um, to me, hands down, my all-time favorite PM is Liz Lemon from 30 Rock. Um, she's not really like, well, I'm maybe also dating myself here as being an old man. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I know the okay. reference. So Gene doesn't. <laughs> Liz Lemon, so it's uh, Tina Fey, the comedian. She oh, was, Tina Fey, yes. She was sort of like the producer for this like fictional Saturday Night Live kind of show, and there was a, a comedy series about that. So um, she wasn't like technically a project manager, but like that's basically what she did. It was like this swirling storm of all these crazy things happening around her, and she's mm -hmm. the one person in the middle trying to lock it all down and make something happen. So she, she'd be my, my coordinator. And then for the, the person who's like the detail oriented, um, tactician, and this is going to be another kind of nerdy answer, I guess. 
um, the developer who made Wordle. <laughs> oh. Because to me, that's like perfect software. It's like, it's so simple. It just does exactly what it needs to do and nothing more. There's no like engagement, like like nonsense stuff. It's just like, it's perfect. You play it once, you're done for the day. Um, I love it. And so the, I'd want somebody like that to be my... my uh, Are you on your daily Wordle these days? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm on several threads uh, also. Oh, wow. with uh, Also my mother-in-law. She's like big on the trash talking. Really? She's <laughs> trash yeah, talking. I'm pretty convinced that she's cheating. She gets way too many twos um, and I'm doing way... Okay, way so set, settle this yeah. debate for me because this is something I have with my friends. This is nothing to do with anything. It doesn't matter. Um, Wordle, if you use a pen and a paper to to figure it out, is that considered cheating? I think it's okay. What are your thoughts, Jean? I think it's okay as well, because it's kind of like, you're not Googling it. You're kind of going yeah. off of the database you already have in your head. Yeah. And see, so, see so, so just to play devil's advocate a little bit on the other side, right? Like, I think part of the difficulty of Wordle is because you're given that one line, and you have to kind of type these letters in yeah. annoyingly, and they only go linearly, like first word, second word, third word. <clears throat> Once it's on a piece of paper, you can put words in whatever order you want, right? Mm-hmm. You can even have, I don't know, break out a Scrabble board and just keep twirling things. And I feel like that works. I'm not a psychologist, but I feel like that works different parts of your brain, mm-hmm. making it easier. So I don't know. If, if you guys have passionate thoughts on this, feel free. <laughs> well, I don't think that making something easier is necessarily equivalent to cheating, cheating. because you're just using your brain to find an, al- an alternative solution right. to yeah. the problem. I think cheating is more so like, for me at least by definition, it's obviously like copying answers. So you're not using any of your own. Right, like when the code got leaked and I had the answers for the next 15 years. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Thanks, Fred. <laughs> Yeah, so, I don't know, that's my personal take on it. Like, the way I look at, like, you know, writing, for example, for Wordle, it's just kind of like, um, essentially, you're just transcribing whatever's going on in your mind just on paper. So it's visually just easier to look at rather than trying to decipher it, just imagining it. Yeah, Yeah. so kind of like, oh, Queen's Gambit, you know, how um, she, like, imagined the pieces. Like, not all of us are capable of um, imagining that through our brain, so it's just easier to do it on So let's use software. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Are you into any derivatives? Worldo? Um, I played Quartle, Quartle? which was like four at the same time, which was crazy. Um, There's also like a movie doll or something I just saw the other day, but I haven't played that yet. Quartle makes me want to break the computer. (laughs) (laughs) Maddingly frustrating. (laughs) A little invested here. That's why I have so many computers. I need a backup. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, that definitely wraps up our episode for this season. I mean, sorry, season. not season. We're done. Oh. Season three. <laughs> we're, we're good. This is the first episode. There's plenty more episodes to come, everyone. We're closing out shop. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that, thanks so much, Nick, for joining us today and kicking off season two for us at Bits and Bites. Like, I think, honestly, like the, your journey here was definitely incredible. Um, wish we could prick your brain more because I mean just being in the Arctic for a few months like that's something that I would never even 
imagine to even think of like an experience. Okay, we'll send you there next month. Oh, yes, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure I'm prepared, you know. <laughs> But um, yeah, and we'll definitely like you know reach out, have you here on the show again because we love sure. to do um like a catch up, <laughs> and then maybe in the second catch up this time we'll go in a little bit more sadistic with her. <laughs> sure. Now, now you know us. Now it comes. We bait yeah. you in with the beef rolls. Ah, <laughs> oh, I see. And then next okay. time it's raw beef. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you guys are listening to this uh, for the first time, please give us a, a subscribe. It really helps us out. If you like it. Leave us a comment. Uh, where do we? Where do you follow us? On Twitter, yep, Spotify. So you, what yeah. are the What are the socials? I haven't been outside in two years, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so you follow us on Twitter, Instagram. We also do have a Facebook page. Um, you can also find our podcast on uh, Pinecast. Um, it will have all of the Spotify, different... iTunes. All of them are on there. Yep. Um, but yeah, Launch Academy HQ for for most things. Mm-hmm. And for those that want to kind of like get in contact with you, Nick, are you open to you know receiving any connections? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, contact me there. Um, also um, through TTT, just go to the website and you'll see me on there as well. And you can reach out. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you for sure. Awesome. So yeah. we'll definitely make sure to include that information for Nick as well as TTT Studios um, inside the uh, YouTube link as well as our podcast description. So make sure to check that out. Thanks again so much, Nick. Awesome. Thank you for right. having me here. This has been great. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. See you guys for now. Bye, everyone. Take care.